Welcome to the Scandinavian Mind podcast, our weekly show about how technology is changing the creative industries. Today on the program, we take a look at the outdoor industry and its sustainability challenges and some of the solutions that are trying to address it. We look at some of the Nordic innovations happening in the industry today. We report from Gore-Tex Laboratory in Germany to hear more about their bet on durability. And we are joined by special guest Eva Karlsson, CEO of Houdini Sportswear, to talk about their new store. My name is Konrad Olsson, Editor-in-Chief and founder of Scandinavian Mind. And I'm here with two of my dear colleagues, Johan Magnusson, Senior Editor, and Erik Sedin. How are you guys? Very good. Great. How are you? I'm doing great. It, it feels topical to start thinking about the outdoor industry. We're moving into the fall season. I see many of our friends are getting out there doing hikes in the beautiful fall forests. And I think uh, also people are trying to think about where they're going for their ski trips this winter. So there's a few things happening uh, in this field. And that's why we wanted to do this special episode uh, also because you, Eric, uh, recently went to Germany to visit Gore-Tex and their laboratory. We'll hear more about that later. But I thought we'd start with talking about this issue. Um, there's what I find is some kind of a paradox in the kind of outdoor community in that it's an industry that addresses people's urge to be in nature, to, uh, you know, kind of take in some of the spoils that Mother Earth gives us while at the same time wearing equipment and clothing that are really harmful for the planet. Approximately half of what is used in outdoor clothing is made out of polyester, oil-based textiles. Uh, But there are things happening in the industry that are trying to address this. And we'll take a look at some of these uh, issues right now. You one, you recently wrote a story uh, addressing three different um, innovations happening, or I rather say, you two wrote the story together. Let's let's look at some of these things. Uh, you one, maybe you can start. Yeah, the story is called uh, Three Brands Proving That the Outdoor Industry Is a Circular Pioneer to Follow." Yeah, I think the headline uh, says it all, and um, we dived into uh, three different brands. Uh, who recently uh, had launched um, some kind of circular uh, initiatives. We had uh, Peak Performance, uh, the North Face, and the uh, iconic Swedish brand uh, Lundhogs. So yeah, th- those are um, front runners, and uh, yeah, proving that, of course, uh, as in many different uh, sectors and aspects, uh, the Nordics are leading the way, obviously. Not to brag, but um, mm. yeah, we're... We're quite uh, far ahead of um, many different uh, other regions and uh, industries, yeah. Well, it's worth mentioning what these examples are. So let's take a look at them each one by one. I think it'll be valuable. So first, we had Peak Performance that had uh, produced 184 jackets using surplus fabrics. What's this about? Yeah, so I was the the writer of that one. Um, It's just uh, basically it's a uh, upcycle project, but, you know, but I, I just think that it works for these uh, uh, outdoor jackets, you know, these this block color designs. Uh, it looks great. Uh, peak performance, obviously, they could probably, if we ask them how much uh, they love the outdoors and how much they care about the winters and stuff, 
they probably would be reluctant to talk about how their CO2, CO2 levels are and their footprint are. It's probably pretty bad, like with all um, outdoor brands. And I think that's why, why we wrote this. And I think it's a pretty interesting paradox, you know. <laughs> it's uh, I think they're kind of self-conscious, these, uh, these um, outdoor brands, kind of apologetic in a way. They kind of know that not only them kind of have a responsibility, but consumers do too. So I think they kind of have to produce these kind of things. So even though this is kind of just a 184 kind of capsule collection, upcycle collection, uh, the outdoor industry is still pushing this really hard. And we're seeing it a lot. Uh, it's also a very conscious uh, end consumer, yeah, who, who of course, uh, are pushing the brands. The, 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 these end consumers are, of course, pushing the brands uh, to do more so that it only not only um, means... Uh, like uh, single capsule collections, but um, how to lower the emissions in the entire value chain. We saw something similar from North Face. I don't think it's a a coincidence that what they're betting on is kind of uh, recycled materials, upcycling and so forth. I think that's where they can do the kind of the most good. Um, What are North Face doing? It's called the Circle Loft. So it's... um, it's a model so, uh, based on uh, 100% recycled materials. Uh, and uh, of course, the, mm-hmm. for them, it's uh, as for uh, all the other uh, brands in the sector, it's super important with the functionality so that it's only not only a sustainable, uh, but not that durable product. But this is uh, designed also to be just as good as the, the regular uh, conventional range. And we also have the iconic uh, Swedish brand Lundhogs. So they're very famous for their hiking boots, but they also have a, a clothing range. And uh, they're quite far ahead in terms of uh, sustainability, circularity and such. For instance, offering like repair services for their boots uh, in their concept stores and flagship stores. Of course, the, the thing is uh, also that uh, their boots are designed to last like a lifetime. So I, I don't know how well used this um, mm. this repairing service is, but still. And uh, yeah, for their clo- clothing range, they also launched uh, a line of jackets made of 100% recycled uh, down. All right, good stuff. This shows that a lot of things happening in the industry right now. And obviously, it's an industry that has kind of innovation and product development in its heart. And I think it's only in the, that's why I'm kind of optimistic about it because these companies really do work on their products. They are developing them, even though they are in a weird way, kind of late on the sustainability uh, development. They have more to do. But let's take a look at one of the biggest brands in the industry uh we have gore-tex uh german-based uh utility brand uh you know producing these innovative fabrics that a lot like performance fabrics that a lot of brands in the industry are using and you eric had a chance to visit the gore-tex laboratory outside of munich recently uh tell us a little bit about what you saw there just uh, the the high levels coming in there what was the experience like? It was, in a way, what I, the first thing they showed us was this presentation, you know, and it was about how they have their new EPF membrane and all that stuff. But you know, you know when they, they show you a presentation and it's like just so there are like four asterisks in a row after each statement. So they were they had all these environmental statements and but they kind of were like 
almost apologetic, like I said before, almost very self-conscious how, okay, Cortex, at least historically, hasn't been very well for the environment in creating these garments. So they were more like, during this presentation, they were like, we're just going to show you how durable our clothes are. So they took us to the lab and, you know, they had a storm cube, they had a rain tower, they had like all these crazy machines that that checked out the uh, durability of stuff, of both how waterproof they were and like how how well they would... uh, handle friction and stuff like that uh it was pretty cool it was cool to like check out the you know the being in a like kind of what do you say like a white coat setting and like standing there and being very respectful Mm. toward these these doctors and these professors what i took with me is is like you know the the gore-tex brand that having that logo on your arm or on your shoes some brands it's bigger than their own (laughs) their own logo because Gore-Tex is such a, it's such a right. huge part. Of it. Like everyone wants it. it, has credibility. It sounds like I've drunk in the, the Gore-Tex Kool-Aid, but it's true, right? And what they showed me was how in these uh, in these laboratories, for example, they had like a like a shoe machine, like it was it, it like imitated walking underwater. So they had like a puddle and a shoe walked there, and, it was, oh. and these German professors were like, "It's gonna walk one million steps, and if one drip of water come inside, we send it back." Because, you know, they work with like 500,000 of brands. Any brand you can mention probably has some kind of Gore-Tex collab, right? So they test these clothes right. really, really meticulously. If any kind of drip of water comes through, they send it back. Like, we don't want to work with you guys. Or you have to come back with a new design. So that's kind of what they showed me. How if, let's say, I don't know, let's say Prada or whatever did a cool Gore-Tex jacket and they want to have zippers to the sides and they want to have it cut real quite, you know, fabulously might not work so well with durability and with uh, waterproofness. So they'll just send it back. And they were quite, you know, proud about that. And I get that, you know. Okay, so Eric, so the issue is obviously in the material and the use of material. So what are they doing in terms of production and distribution and handling of, of this? Did you, any, any, any findings there? Any learnings? Uh, from what I took with me is that they did not push too hard on, you know, we're recycling stuff, we're using recycled plastics. They did mention that, but they were mostly just stuck on the durability thing. But they did, like I said uh, briefly, mm-hmm. they did uh, mention the EP, EPE membrane. Before it was just PE membrane, so the E probably means that it's environmental in some way. Eco-friendly. <laughs> yeah, eco, eco, eco PE or whatever. So it launched uh, last year, a year ago, uh, in the fall of 2023, and they said like, oh yeah, this is a significantly lower CO2 impact, it's lighter, it's uh, more strong, it's better in all these ways. But they did, like, kind of when they showed, you know, how some companies would be like, oh, we're going to be carbon neutral by this year, this year, they were kind of, like I said, they're kind of apologetic, they're kind of uh, conscious, they were like, they're supposed to be carbon neutral by 2050. Which was kind of refreshing, you know, it's so mm-hmm. far ahead. It's not like they're saying like, oh, we're going to, and I don't know, for example, Apple, a huge tech brand, they're going to be carbon neutral by 2030. That's like around the corner, right? That's tomorrow. So them saying 2050 was quite interesting. There's not like trying to push it. They know they're all about durability. Uh, they have a, a, a pretty extensive collaboration with MIT Universitetet in Sundsvall, the, the MID University in Sweden. And they have a, let's mm-hmm. see, I got to get this right. It's a sports tech research center at the Mid University. So they're working with them huh, to kind of have know. their, uh, to kind of have their, and Mid University call us. We want to go visit, of course. It would be cool to see the, the labs there too. To also have kind of a third party lab to test their stuff. So they are trying stuff. I think, I think they are trying to 
create this new membrane and trying to get people to know about it. But they weren't pushing so much that it's kind of this revolutionary, eco-friendly material, really. They were mostly saying like, hey, this Gore-Tex jacket can probably pass on to your grandkids along the line. So, you know, we're trying to make it durable. Well, points for being uh, transparent and honest about where they are in in uh, their development. Okay, so... You went there, you flew down to Germany, you, you visited the lab. We have to talk about what happened afterwards because you sent some really eerie pictures in our in our uh, editorial Slack channel hanging from the cliff of a giant mountain. What happened there, Eric? Just give just give us a short... Uh, we we all felt like we almost lost yeah, you Yeah, I, I thought so. I Spoiler alert, almost died. But... Uh... <laughs> I, uh, after we went to the lab, we went to this, uh, like, southern Germany. They have mountains just on the borders of Austria. And they were like, oh, we're going to go on, we're going to have three difficulties for a hike tomorrow. First one is like, you go up a gondola, you're chilling. Second one, you go on a three-hour hike. And the third one is a Via Ferrata, like a climb. I didn't know what Via Ferrata mm-hmm. meant. I just took the hardest one because I thought it was fun. And I should have, when they asked, like, when we were in this dinner the night before, they asked, like, who's doing the, the hardest one? I probably should have looked more closely at the people raising their hands because they had like these veiny, <laughs> strong, broad, like climber arms raised in the sky. And then my normal arm. Uh, I probably should have said no then. Uh, and also probably should have backed out when I went to the lobby of the hotel and I saw these really experienced climbers and then me in like cargo pants and <laughs> like our regular t-shirts. It was you and all the, the climber influencers. <laughs> exactly. You know. Uh, but yeah, I almost died. It was an awful. I think we can get some pictures for people to see. So you have two carabiners and there's a metal wire going up a mountain face. And then you climb up and you have to like attach yourself with these carabiners on that metal wire. And I could never have imagined how hard it was. Like my, my heart was beating for my life. I thought like three, four times, like, did I even text my mom this morning? Like, did I tell her I love her? Like, because I thought I was going to die. <laughs> uh, it was awful. Well, my heart was beating when I looked at the photos you sent and we're happy you came back safe and sound. Yeah. And you also went uh, viral or yeah, on TikTok, right? Not not from the <laughs> not from the mountain, uh, but from the lab. We have not, not from the climb at TikTok, yeah. Yeah, so people listening to this you probably have already seen uh, I did like a little um, like a little recap of the of the laboratory. Uh, it's uh, for all of our Eastern European listeners, I feel like it blew up in Eastern Europe. I think it's almost like 80,000 views now. So if you haven't seen it yet, go to Scandinavian Mind on TikTok and check out my little lab tour of the Gore-Tex fabric, uh, factory. You can see how it looked and how they tried out this stuff. All right, we are now joined by our special guest, Eva Karlsson, CEO of Houdini Sportswear, the Swedish outdoor innovator that just launched the world's first quote-unquote circular store uh, that we're going to uh, ask her about. Eva, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Let's let's get into it. I mean, we all know Houdini as this innovator within uh, outdoor. Um, we can talk about some of your your projects, but mostly curious about your new store that you recently launched with this kind of bold statement of being uh, a circular store. What do you mean by that? Well, we've been working with uh, moving to uh, in the transition towards circular uh, for more than two decades, uh, and it's been a, a lot about designing products and materials for circular flow, sure. But if we look at the ideal 
setup in being circular, it's not only about how you design products or how you produce them, but also how how we can create a flow of products where people can use them, uh, borrow them, uh, rent them, repair them, reuse them, resell them, and all of that stuff. So it's not only about production, but consumption. And we've been exploring circular business models for about 10, a little more than 10 years. Uh, that is rental. Uh, we've had reuse going running for uh, 10 years as well. And then we had a pilot with subscription a couple of years ago. And uh, our findings is that there's, there's clear interest and opportunities uh, in this space. But also, um, one of our findings, and, and we've been part of the problem there, I guess, because we've designed each business model separate. So we're trying to push customers or users into separate you know, silos. And a lot of brands only cater to one of those circular business models, meaning that the only way to, to try to become a circular user or customer is by renting. But of course, it doesn't make it sustainable. There's no silver bullet like one circular business model. So what our learning is that we need to cater to, we need to um, provide all of them and a seamless uh, experience where customers really can use some products you might actually uh, want to own because you use them more or less every day. Others you might only wear once, one week per year, and those you want to rent. And then there's a subscription so that we can support customers in what we call living large with less, so having a small wardrobe that does more for you uh, or more or less everything for you. And that's, that's a subscription where you get a few products and then you use them for like the fall season now. And then you can switch them for a slightly different setup during winter and then spring and then summer. So, um, yeah, we're, we're ex continuing to explore, but doing it on the, on the customer's preferences and seamless. Right, right. And can you talk about the challenges of bringing these services together into one one kind of customer experience, one store. Uh, you have this store in central Stockholm. It's not the biggest one. Uh, so to, to have these kind of different types of concept, uh, is it, could it be confusing for the customer or how do you go about sort of knowing what, how, you know, what's, how to serve your customer? And that's a very good question. And we're asking ourselves exactly that. Uh, we know that this is the way forward. Uh, and we, we also realize that there's, there's some learning for us to do, and we'll need to co-create this together with our customers, really. So now we do it, like you say, it's a small space, and that's pretty good. It's like a walk-in closet in a way. Uh, that means that there's a lot of dialogue in between the customers there and, and us. Uh, so we learn from each other. And, um, but but it's, it seems to be really well appreciated and working uh, already. So it's not that difficult. Mm. There's um, massive difficulties on the back end, though, in uh, digital systems to support it. That's for sure. This hasn't, hasn't been done uh, before. So there's no system support. So that's what we're, we've been developing. I thought it was interesting. We talked about it before, how this kind of a paradox or like a catch-22 in the outdoor industry, how uh, many outdoor brands talk about sustainability and all these people that are consumers and they love being outdoors. You know, they love nature, they love part of being outside. Still, these people are perhaps some of the biggest travelers in the world and they buy all these new stuff. Um, 
I realized before you were on the show, we talked about how I went to Gore-Tex lab in Germany and they talked about durability and stuff. And I saw how, I don't think, Houdini, you don't use Gore-Tex, do you? Why is that? I think I thought that was interesting. No, well, we like I said, we, we look at circularity from a holistic perspective and mm. and if... The way we look at resources is resources for us, like natural resources, we borrow them from the planet and future generations. It needs to go back to, into the system. And that means you, we cannot mix and we absolutely cannot add pollutant chemicals in there. Um, and I'm not, Gore-Tex is working on this, uh, but for a long, long time, they haven't been working on it. And there's opportunity to be, become much more pure not only in removing toxic chemicals, but also going monomaterial design. Monomaterials meaning that the, the, the membrane, the waterproof membrane, is the same material as the face fabric and the inner fabric. So it's like making a, a technical shell layer that is recyclable at the level of a pet bottle almost. Uh, that's the way to do it. And we... We don't compromise with these things. And of course, Gore is a super strong brand. So for a brand, for a brand like Houdini, it would totally make sense to work with Gore-Tex. But we also have our clear philosophy and um, direction on where we need to go. And uh, we don't need to compromise on those things. Materials are not supposed to be mixed. And there's clearly no reason to either. So we can be, become much more clean in, in our design. Um, and we choose to be that. Eric, you mentioned travel, and um, and I guess we, we all love traveling the world and experiencing new cultures and new places, and, and I guess I don't think we should uh, uh, shy away from that. That's, we need to figure out ways to be continuing to travel uh, and meet other peoples and, and you know, have a, a diverse and... Uh, and cool world to explore together but anyways there's also a lot of stuff you can do in the regional place and, and looking at circular flows maybe regional business setups is more is an interesting path forward at least we think so so global transportation um, of goods might not be necessary in the future and this the hub in Stockholm Houdini Circle is is clearly a regional like set up so it's catering to the local community and and i think that when we when we scale this we might want to go digital but we're going to be careful with that and rather um, have Houdini circle uh, land in other clusters and do those regional or, or local as well and, th and that's really interesting way to you know not only enable access to Houdini products, but also then like educational. Uh, there's there's new ways of using products it's, and it's not the throwaway society that we need to live for. Um, but you can also make really, really um, like super technical gear that is very, might be quite expensive when you buy it, accessible to much more people. And that's also interesting to us. We're super exclusive in one way, and we don't want to be that, but we cannot compromise with social aspects or ethical aspects or environmental aspects. So we're uncompromising, but that means our products are super expensive. 
And then how do we make it accessible to many? And circular, circle for us is a solution to that. I want to get back to, you mentioned, you know, there's a lot of work on the back end and not to get too technical, but I'm curious, you know, the challenges of running a brand and, you know, collecting all these different types of services. What what kind of setup do you need and what kind of new uh, uh, resources in terms of technologies or competences do you need as a brand in order to to innovate and and and, and push these new new uh, ways of servicing the customers out there uh, I'm, I'm a little curious because many brands from my understanding work in a very traditional way you have kind of some some kind of uh, uh, research and development there's some kind of design but most brands in 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 apparel our sales organizations and work with distribution and so forth. So what kind of new technologies are you looking at? So I think w- one aspect of this is like having a network organization or more like an ecosystem where, where we don't work in silos. So um, in our product design department, there's also exploration around IoT solutions. And mm. so there's a lot of cross-pollination in between teams. That is extremely important, I think, in order to understand how to move forward and how to use digital tech for good Uh, you know you you can apply lots of digital tech to apparel and uh, many times at least I don't think it makes sense but if you can look at a product and and have a low tech or no tech solution which still connects it to the user and connects it to us so that we can keep track of it at the end of the day we can help it make sure that it becomes recycled into something new but in between there's a lot of we can help a customer sell a product that they no longer use or rent it out while they're not using it. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity like this. And, and we've seen nature as a blueprint for our way of designing everything around Houdini. And sometimes then we realize that digital tech actually can help us move further in that direction, which is really, really cool. Wonderful. And talk about how this is received with your audience. Obviously, you've been around for a while. I know uh, you have kind of like a, almost like a cult following among certain groups. People really love uh, your brand. But how important is it to communicate these new innovations to to the audience versus just kind of being there and servicing them with with, with new functionalities? Do 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 the audience care about these issues that you talk about? Ah, I love the question. I, I, I we talk a lot, a lot about this, um, you know, within the company. There, there's a lot of hard work going on behind the scenes at Houdini. Uh, and I think one of the reasons for, there are two reasons for communicating it like we're doing now. And that is first, uh, there's a lot of hard work and there's also, it's fantastic for me when the team gets a lot of recognition for, for great work. So that's one thing. But the other is um, um, we're part of a sector or an industry where there's a lot of talk about why things aren't possible to do why it's not possible to do circular, why it's not possible to pay people salaries that are reasonable. There's a lot of, um, you know, passivity. Uh, and I think that for us, we're, we're showing the way that it's possible. And we're a pretty small niche company, but it's possible. So big guys, come on, let's get, get going, kind of. And that's also why we're open source. Not, not sharing is doesn't everything we do and hopefully uh, we can transform together rather than you know being one perfect brand within a sector of um, average brands so it's it's about moving 
industry mm. forward. And that's push and pull. Um, but then, the other part of that, uh, I think that we've been that for a long time in terms of just how we design our products. And that is, you don't care anything about sustainability. And it, even so, you become because you buy a circular product, but then we have to make sure that they actually recycle it for the day. And who knows if they do, if they don't care. But if you buy, if you design a product in the right way, nobody wants to, you know, throw it away after only a few months or a couple of years. They want to keep it because they love it. They don't only fall in love with it, but stay in love with it. And I think that is why we can, can kind of help transform society and the ways of consumption without being like active or, or without having every customer being being an activist or engaged in the issue. It shouldn't be, be necessary. It should be much more intuitive and attractive. And that's what we're trying to, to do, I guess. Make it attractive and fun and not at all about compromise. I love that. Thank you so much for, for sharing those insights. Uh, just as on an end note, uh, is there anything else you're working on right now that you can reveal what's what's in store for Houdini? Uh, and and also, please mention where people can find the store in Stockholm. Yeah, it's on Norrlandsgatan, so right in the middle of the city. That's Houdini Circle. And we have our other store just on the corner on Kungsgatan 30. So we can support... In all our hubs, we can support with repairs. And uh, we have some... Um, vintage Houdini garments as well but Houdini Circle is on Norrlandsgatan and that's where we have the seamless um, solution in place already now it's a pilot so we, we will test it before we scale it um, what's in the pipeline there's a lot of exciting stuff actually uh, we've been working on uh, on eliminate, eliminating microplastics for a long time and we have some really cool projects that are in the that will soon be launched in that space, and then we have the organics. I don't know if you've seen, but you know our organics are pure enough to actually compost at the end of life. There's also a lot of new uh, great products coming in that sector. And then we're soon, uh, maybe in month, one month's time, we're, we've been working on an innovation project with an American uh, partner of ours for some years. And it's a, it's a new way of doing technical shellery that has not been seen yet but it's monomaterial softer than what's been uh, possible to do so far more durable than what's been possible to do so far of course then circular uh, and of course PFAS free and that's going to be a cool one too um, to launch. All right, good stuff. We have all the reason to come back to Houdini as uh, uh, per usual. Eva Karlsson, CEO of Houdini, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. It's been great talking. All right, before we leave you guys, I, we just want to, of course, plug our upcoming event with Beauty Innovation. We have Beauty Innovation Talks coming to Stockholm on October 25. It's going to be a full afternoon. Um, RSVPs are rolling in. So if you want to reserve your seat, you should do it soon. Uh, Yuan, uh, getting excited? Do you feel the heat? Definitely. After two events in Copenhagen, it's uh, great to be back on the home soil and uh, a lot of interest and a great uh, chance to gather the industry. 
which is quite rare. Of course, we have the trade fairs, but those are so intense and uh, not not that uh, they're not designed for like uh, mingling or networking. Um, and not so many insights, but only product launches. So we're happy to con contribute to a new way of gathering for the industry. Wonderful. Yeah. And people can look forward to a trend report, uh, State of Beauty Innovation by Yuan. Uh, we also have a great panel as well as a case study with our uh, beauty tech partner, Revive, coming in from Helsinki, Finland. Look forward to that. Sign up to our news, uh, our beauty innovation newsletter. Uh, visit scandinaviamind.com slash beauty innovation to get access to this invite um, and uh, you'll, you'll receive all the info. Hope to see you there and uh, until next week. Goodbye. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.